0: Here it is.
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. What is this? Like the first program of the new year? Happy 2018, everybody. Let's make it the same. Um, Because we have no choice. Because we're the same. No, we're not. This, This program celebrates, if anything, the normal. The new normal or the normal normal? That's the question before us today. Pull up a chair and sit next to it, won't you? First of all, you know that the United States Army Corps of Engineers has become famous, at least to uh, people who listen to this broadcast or who saw The Big Uneasy, my documentary film about New Orleans, famous for its slogan, Let Us Try. Essay The slogan of the Army Corps of Engineers, which has been, of course, betrayed by their performance in many instances. It turns out it's not just the Army Corps of Engineers. This from California about another public agency responsible for a major water project. See if this sounds familiar, Army Corps fans. Decades of human error, design and maintenance mistakes on the nation's tallest dam, not just any little Piddlin dam, culminated in the failure of its spillways during California's history-making rains last year. That's according to a report released this week by investigators. Well, who told them to investigate? The panel of independent forensic investigators found that while the crisis at Oroville Dam couldn't be blamed reasonably on a specific agency or decision, the near calamity, which forced 190,000 people to flee their homes last February, was caused by, quote, long-term systemic failure unquote, within the California Department of Water Resources. That's like California's own Army Corps of Engineers. There was no single root cause of the Oroville Dam spillway incident, nor was there a simple chain of events that led to the failure of the service spillway chute slab. Come on, everybody, we're going over to the chute slab, the subsequent overtopping of the emergency spillway crest structure and the necessity of the evacuation order. According to the report, for decades, both state and federal inspectors performed flawed visual inspections, missing indicators that water was seeping below the spillway surface and eroding concrete. According to the report, the panel found the state's original design and construction plans were flawed. This is ringing so many bells. I feel like I'm a human carillon right now and that the dam's main spillway first used in 1969 was ripe for deterioration. Why, that's that's 1969. That's, you know, prehistoric. Furthermore, the hulking 770-foot dam spillway was built on poor foundation. Another bell ringing, which eroded during previous spillway repairs. You'd have to say those were really good repairs. The seriousness of the weak-as-constructed conditions and lack of repair durability was not recognized during numerous inspections and review processes over the almost 50-year history of the project. Why, that's long enough to get bad at something. This according to the report. The mounting erosion came to the surface February 7th of last year. This heightened discharge has punctured a hole 200 feet long and 30 feet deep in the spillway. But as another series of heavy storms approached from the Pacific, the department was f- forced to consider Sorry, to continue using the battered spillway. Burdened by a deficient and obliterated main spillway, they couldn't keep up with the reservoir's rapidly rising water. Officials sent water over the emergency spillway the first time in the dam's history. Officials worried that the untested emergency spillway could give out, sending a 30-foot wall of water crashing below the dam. In the end, the department decided to continue using the main spillway, broken though it was. Evacuation orders were lifted. Six investigators with members of the Association of State Dam Safety Officials and the U.S. Society on Dams was highly critical of California's water water resources department. Why it's California? They lead the in every. It calls the department quote somewhat insular and questions its decision to slow releases on the main spillway during the incident and to use the untested emergency spillway. The decisions, quoting the report, were made with the best of intentions, but against the advice of civil engineering and geological personnel, who by then had recognized the poor bedrock conditions and the potential for unsatisfactory performance. The department said a new evaluation of the dam is underway. It will incorporate the report's findings. I'm telling you, when when the bells start ringing... They don't stop. And we now note as normal, this week, report by um, the executive branch of the United States government with a budget estimate, the uh, wall with Mexico, which uh, President President Trump said would be paid for by Mexico. I think he said it about 20,000 times during the election campaign, it turns out will now be paid for by United States taxpayers to the tune of $18 billion. So save up, everybody. Hello, welcome to the show.
0: Look on yonder wall, hand down my wall. Come your man Look on yonder wall Hand me down my walking cane Look on yonder wall Hand me down my walking cane Well, I got me another woman Baby, yonder come your man When well, your husband went to the wall And you know it was tough I don't know how many, many done killed But I know you done killed enough Let go yonder wall Hand me down my walking cane
1: Santa Monica, California, Home of the Homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Warm, won't you? Award-winning feature of this broadcast. How did that ever happen? Soft listen
2: to the warm. We can listen to the
1: warm. On the subject of normal, Here's the latest idea of the new normal from the German reinsurer Munich Re. According to them, 2017 was a uniquely disastrous year in more ways than one. Led by massive climate change fueled hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria, known as the Andrew Sisters, 2017's natural disasters will cost insurers a record $135 billion. Adding in uninsured losses brings the total global to three hundred thirty billion second only to twenty eleven. We have a new normal, Munich Rees, Ernest Rauch told Reuters. Rauch runs the group's tracking runs the group tracking climate change risks, pointing out that twenty seventeen was not an outlier in having more than one hundred billion dollars in insured losses. We must have on our radar the trend of new magnitudes, Rauch said. In a really bad translation from the original. The big reinsurers like Munich Re make their money by insuring the companies that directly insure your property. The smaller companies are often required by law to buy reinsurance because they don't have the capital resources to pay out if there's a major thing like Harvey. Since the reinsurers must pay out billions and billions of dollars for mega disasters, they have a unique incentive to understand and predict trends in mega disasters. That's why companies like Munich Re and its sister company in Switzerland guess the name. Yes, Swiss re, have been at the forefront of warning businesses and the public about the rise in extreme weather events due to climate change. What they call the new normal. Ocean dead zones with zero oxygen have quadrupled in size since 1950, scientists now warn. While the number of very low oxygen sites near coasts have multiplied tenfold. Most sea creatures cannot survive in these zones. Current trends would lead to mass extinction in the long run. In the long run, of course, everything dies. Risking dire consequences for hundreds of millions of people who depend on the sea. Climate change caused by fossil fuel burning is, according to an analysis published in the journal Science, the cause of the large-scale deoxygenization, as warmer waters hold less oxygen. Who knew? If they'd told me that then, I wouldn't have burned all the stuff. The coastal dead zones result from fertilizer and sewage running off the land and into the seas. Well, isn't that where you throw stuff? The analysis is the first comprehensive one of the areas, the uh, ocean dead zones, and states major extinction events in Earth's history have been associated with warm climates and oxygen-deficient oceans. The leader of the analysis said, under the current trajectory, that is where we would be headed. The consequences to humans of staying on that trajectory are so dire, it's hard to imagine we would go quite that far down the path. Work on your imagination, babe. This is a problem we can solve, said the researcher. Halting climate change requires a global effort, but even local actions can help with nutrient driven oxygen decline she pointed to recoveries in chesapeake bay and the thames river in the uk where better farm and sewage practices led to dead zones disappearing unlike say the mississippi river and the gulf of mexico it's it's baby dead zone we did not Babies all up. they grow so fast these days. Professor Robert Diaz of the Virginia Institute of Marine Science, reviewing the new study, said, Right now, the increasing expansion of coastal dead zones and decline in open ocean oxygen are not priority problems for governments around the world. Unfortunately, will take severe and persistent mortality of fisheries, i.e., what's that smell, for the seriousness of low oxygen to be realized. The oceans, in case you haven't noticed, feed more than 500 million people, especially in poorer nations, and provide jobs. Jobs, I said. Jobs. Listen to me. Jobs for 350 million people. At least 500 dead zones have now been reported near coasts, up from fewer than 50 in 1950. That was 50 for 50. Lack of monitoring in many regions means the true number may be much higher. There are natural low-oxygen areas in the ocean, usually off the west coast of continents, due to the way the rotation of the Earth affects ocean currents. Well, let's just reverse the rot The level of oxygen in all ocean waters is falling. 2%, 77 billion tons, I said billion tons, being lost since 1950. This can reduce growth, impair reproduction, sorry babe, and increase disease, the scientists warn. Warmer waters not only hold less oxygen, but also mean marine organisms have to breathe faster, using up oxygen more quickly. There are also dangerous feedback mechanisms, more dangerous than, you know, at a Motley Crew concert. Microbes that proliferate at very low oxygen levels, oxygen levels, produce lots of nitrous oxide. That's a greenhouse gas that's only 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Those damn, mi- I blame the microbes. In coastal regions, fertilizer, manure, and sewage pollution cause algal blooms, and while the algae decompose, oxygen is sucked out of the water. However, in some places, the algae can lead to more food for fish and increased catches around the dead zone. So, a little bit of hope, a little ray of hope there in the end. Pray for the algae. This new analysis was produced by an international working group created in 2016 by UNESCO. Don't we hate them? Aren't we supposed to hate them now? The uh, ocean acidification could be transforming the fundamental structure of California mussel shells. According to a new report from Florida State University team. Why didn't they study Florida mussels? What the hell? For thousands of years, California mussel shells have shared a relatively uniform makeup, mineralogically speaking. Tom? Yes. Long cylindrical, go, Tom. Long cylindrical, cal- long cylindrical calcite crystals. There you go. Ordered in neat vertical rows with crisp, geometric regularity. Regularity, yeah. Regularity. But in a study published this week in the journal *Global Climate Change Biology*, Bi- researchers suggest that escalating rates of ocean acidification are shaking up that cell mineral mineralogy. On its most basic structural levels. What we've seen in more recent shells is that the crystals are small and disoriented, said the leader of the study. These are significant changes in how these animals produce their shells. They can be tied to a shifting ocean chemistry. Shell mineralog- mineralogy. <laughs> it, it's catching, isn't it? Yes. Had remained consistent for centuries. Shell specimens collected within the past 15 years had experienced dramatic structural Changes, and including an increase in magnesium. Healthy shells usually are composed primarily of calcium carbonate. When more magnesium is found in the skeleton, it signals that the organism has less control over what it's making. Muscles out of control. Increased skeletal magnesium also causes changes in the strength of important magnesium oxygen bonds. The robustness of these bonds is an instructive proxy for the level of organization. In the shell. An important theme of climate change science is that increased variability might be the new rule, the new normal, says the leader of the study. We know that climate change right now is happening faster than what the Earth has experienced before. We see that over these long time scales, things tend to plateau and stabilize. Variability is the basis of natural selection. The fact that we now see so much variability in the muscle's individual traits means there's potential for natural selection to act. Calling Mr. Darwin You're on, sir The Guardian also reports that after 60 million years of extreme living Seabirds are crashing Conservations have long known That many seabird populations are in decline A recent paper in PLOS 1 Finds the situation worse than anticipated According to the researchers, seabird abundance has dropped 69% In just 60 years That's 69 for 60 Representing the deaths of some 230 million animals I was very surprised with the result, said the co-author of the the study. It was considerably greater than I expected. What we should take away from this is that something is seriously amiss in the oceans. See the previous study for what that might be. And the one little ray of hope in all this crap. Germany has crossed a symbolic milestone in its energy transition by briefly covering about 100% of electricity use with renewables for the first time ever. On New Year's Day, that was a happy New Year. In the whole of last year, the world's fourth largest economy produced a record 36% of its total power needs, renewably. Combination of strong winds and low demand after New Year's Eve celebrations, well, we're all sleeping it off, meant the wind power alone produced about 85% of Germany's power consumption. Biomass installations covered the rest, as there was no solar before sunrise. Coal, gas, and nuclear was cut to a minimum as power prices turned negative and surplus energy was exported to neighboring countries. Nobody expected we would reach 100% in the early morning of a winter day, said the energy secretary. Most believed it was most likely Germany would cross the threshold on a sunny and windy spring day. This means we are entering a new phase, says research coordinator at the Institute for Applied Ecology, Felix Maths. Renewables have finally left their niche. The New Normal. The New Normal News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature. Well, award winning feature, this broadcast. Why should I hide my light under a bushel? And now.
0: Our house
3: is a very, very, very smart house.
1: Surveys are showing that people who are. You know, home, fixated on their homes, and people who like to uh, take up new technologies sooner are both, both groups are really enthusiastic about getting into the Internet of Things in their homes. Don't pity them. You wouldn't think a domestic task like doing the dishes would require the intervention of smart home technology. According to digital trends, you wouldn't. But Delta Faucet, not the airline, the faucet, is jumping into the market with a new smart faucet. Ladies and gentlemen, smart faucet. Because you're too dumb to use a water faucet. Think about it. Thousands of years of human evolution, and you... C- smart faucet responds to users' voices. will make its debut during this Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas next week. Lucky them. The appliance combines two proven platforms, Amazon's Alexa voice-driven digital assistant and Delta's Touch 20 technology faucets. Smart faucets have been slowly making their way into smart home portfolios for some time. I saw one sneaking under my door just last week. They're equipped with temperature gauges and efficiency sensors that make it easy for family members to monitor and control how much water they use in the kitchen or the bathroom. Let's just see. The Delta Touch 20 faucet registers voice commands via Alexa. (laughs) Alexa, more hot water, please. Allowing users to turn water on or off, measure water quantity, and even warm water. Users can continue working while the faucet seamlessly and accurately controls water via a Wi-Fi connection. It's in your house. Why do you need a Wi-Fi? Because it has to communicate via Alexa, which has to go back to Amazon, which doesn't really have any interest in your data on how much water you use. They couldn't sell that to anybody. That would be today's world is more connected than ever before. That drives a need for products that deliver convenience and connectivity, says the senior product manager for Delta Faucet, a gentleman by the name of Mike Sale. S A L E. We don't make him up. We just read him. And by we I mean me. We're excited, says Mike Sale. For voice activation technology to represent the evolution of hands-free technology. You want hands-free faucets, don't you? You get your hands so messed up using faucets. It just, it spoils, it, it spoils the look. Tom? The look. And it represents, says Mike Sale, how Delta Faucet can exceed customer expectations in the kitchen. I'll say uh, exceed by a factor of. Until now, smart faucets have typically come in two configurations: hands-free and digital input. Delta's new smart faucet bypasses digital input entirely, giving consumers a more accurate and integrated option for their water use. The new design employs Alexa's ability to use. This is in quotes skills, unquote, and not not with a z to control appliances so the faucet is highly flexible and customizable for do-it-yourself smart home users who want to find unique applications for the technology, like hacking your neighbor's kitchen or bathroom. (laughs) We made their water all all really hot over there. Their bath water is cold. (laughs) Meanwhile, Bruce Schneier, who uh, edits a blog on security in the Internet age, says, quote, Overall, the security of the average Internet of Things device is so bad that the attack made public this week, the two uh, Meltdown and Spectre, the two uh, universal flaws found in all computers and computer uh, technology, that this attack presumed to come from people uh, exploiting those two flaws, is the noise compared to the previously known risks of the Internet of Things. So please exceed my expectations, Delta Fawcett, won't you? It's so smart to have a smart house. I use
3: my outside voice because I have no choice. The barn that I was racing was constructed out of noise, and now I'm all torn up because my buttercup,
0: up and gone and left me. Said she finally.
3: It's hard to to redefine. Same old sad.
1: Santa Monica, this is the show. Now to the noise. We talked about the signal and the noise. The noise, ladies and gentlemen, in this case would be all the furor whipped up by the release, first the excerpts, and then the release of the entirety of Fire and Fury, the book by journalist Michael Wolfe about the first year of the administration <laughs> president trump and um i'm i'm in the midst of reading it right now i did not get up and get in line at a bookstore this is the best reason i mean i love i love bookstores don't get me wrong but in a situation like this you get the book right away online start reading while people are still in line that's all i can say that's not all i can say i've got half an hour to fill the um the first chapter is interesting because it it uh, enumerates a number of examples of situations where decisions were made, like uh, the most telling example coming to mind is uh, Trump telling Chris Christie not to not to really bother with too uh, exhaustive a uh, job in doing the preparation for the transition, which was. Christie's assignment at the time, because we're not going to win. um That, is, as I say, is echoed throughout the first chapter. This uh, overwhelming sense that Wolf at least got that people in the Trump campaign seemed to share the general opinion of those outside the campaign that it was a quixotic and doomed venture. Uh, and that. Uh, the idea that uh, Trump was actually going to become president was as laughable to them as and almost as undesirable to them as to the rest of us may have been. Uh, specifically that uh, a lot of them, including Trump himself, thought that losing would be winning. You know, he'd be m- the most famous man in the world anyway, and there'd be lucrative opportunities to follow. Uh, Kellyanne Conway would be a cable TV star because she'd become so famous. Uh, Jared and Ivanka, Ivanka uh, would be worldwide celebrities. All of this without having to actually do the heavy lifting until, boom, the heavy lifting. That, at least, is the premise of the first chapter. Then there's, you know, the quotes you've read, uh, including Rupert Murdoch hanging up on a phone conversation with uh, Trump, uh, calling him an effing moron. Now... I don't know how you would you would know that unless you were in the room with Rupert Murdoch, but maybe maybe Wolf was. He had written a book about him that wasn't really flattering to Murdoch sometime earlier, so it's dubious R- M- Rupert would have said, hey, after the hatchet job, come on in. Listen, I'm, i got Trump on the phone. So, so sourcing questions do occur with the book in certain cases. One gets... The feeling, and I, I'm only halfway through, that Wolf, as a writer, is in this um, zone that he finds, that he feels quite uncomfortable in, that he feels as awkward and uh, kind of lonely, which is he has no belief in the um, intellectual or uh, temperamental qualities of uh, Trump to actually be president of the United States, and yet he doesn't share in the widespread media revulsion. In the entire enterprise, and the uh, avidity to find um, a uh, a deep and disturbing conspiracy in the campaign, uh, and eventually the administration uh, tied to the Russians. So he's in that weird place. He's not alone, but he it, it, it's it's few and far between. Anyway, uh, you know the. Uh, the president <laughs> president has uh reacted in the expected way to the publication of the book and its revelations or its purported revelations uh with furious counterpunching via twitter now in the book he's quoted as saying it, at some point is it the, no it's not in the book it's in the new york times reporting on the uh, his attempt to keep uh, attorney general jeff sessions from recusing himself from the Russia probe, that he says, where's my Roy Cohn? And uh, it, it never, it can never be repeated too often that um, it's a good idea not to confuse personality traits with uh, lessons from one's mentor. And in Trump's case, his mentor was uh, Roy Cohn. And he says, you know, if, if, uh, Sessions is going to recuse himself. Where's my Roy Cohn? Meaning a a fixer who protected him. Cohn did that in Trump's early days. You may remember David K. Johnson's interview on this program in the middle of 2016, talking about Trump's career as a builder and his dependence on some mobbed-up unions and uh, making sure that there was no labor problems. There were no labor problems at his construction sites. And Roy Cohn was sometimes called in to... uh, Fix those situations, Cohn was uh, later disbarred for being such a good lawyer uh but Cohn taught trump, and this is this has been widely reported over the years, but it it bears repeating now. Cohn taught Trump two things: don't ever apologize, and when you're attacked, attack back ten times hit back ten times as ten times harder so you can't necessarily one can't necessarily assume those are personality traits those are things that Trump picked up as a uh, little pisher from Queens coming into the big city from uh, Roy Cohen, who at the time was the master fixer in Manhattan. But as I say, he has responded with fury, Cohn-like fury, uh, both against Steve Bannon, who was a principal source of some of the most um, explosive, I think is the word that everybody used, uh, quotes from the book, especially about the June 2016 meeting that Donald Trump Jr. and some associates had with a lawyer, a Russian lawyer, at Trump Tower, um, but other quotes throughout the book. Uh, Trump has uh, basically declared Steve Bannon a non-person, and uh, has attacked the book, and um, declared himself on Saturday morning at a uh, impromptu press conference at Camp David to be. Well, actually, he declared it in uh, tweets just before that press conference to be uh, contrary to the impression you might get from the book, where a lot of people, like Rupert Murdoch, uh, declaimed to Wolf their low opinion of Trump at certain moments. Now, I have to say, I've called, in my life, I've I've called uh, Soto Voce after a phone conversation or a meeting, uh, people effing morons or idiots. And if you ask me today if I thought they were intellectually... Um, Deficient, I'd have to say no. Of course not. I just was blowing off steam. So some of these people may have been doing that, but uh, and and Wolf may have cherry picked those quotes. But uh, Trump felt hurt enough by the implications that he's uh, a mental midget to uh, proclaim in Saturday's morning Saturday morning's tweet that he is a uh, not only a genius but a very stable genius. Hope Hicks, his longtime personal communications aide, long time for him, starting from the campaign, has been enlisted in the uh, in the proceedings to uh do I don't even think you can call it damage control at this point, but whatever it is. And uh Trump's lawyer, personal lawyer, Ty Cobb, uh has been reported for weeks, if not months, along with his other personal lawyer, John Dowd, as having told Trump that the Mueller investigation would be over either by Thanksgiving or uh, their later timeline had it ending by Christmas. Uh, It did not escape Trump's attention that both those timelines have proved uh, less than truthful, and he's been reported by many, not just Michael Wolff, to uh, be his rage at the continuation of the Mueller investigation, which began with uh, his firing of James Comey, Uh, has now focused on his lawyers and their inability to predict when the investigation would end. Uh, It all boils down to this.
2: This week, for the first time, a triumphant return to the swamp is sabotaged by the one thing the businessman-turned-president hates most, a book. And now the team's job, like always, is to figure out what to do. Hope. Yes, sir. You've been my most trusted advisor since, uh, how long? Hmm. Since you decided I looked like a trusted advisor. That's cute. I used to like cute. Now look, you know I don't deal in hyperbole, but this week's task is maybe the most important ever. I know that, sir. I'm here to do whatever you need. Hey, listen, you had that thing with Corey. That right there is the likes of which nobody has ever seen. Thank you. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I like Corey. He's terrific. But if it were me, I'd I'd rather find a plate of cold french fries in bed next to me. (laughs) Yes, sir. Of course, I do anyway. So look, Hope, the book, it's a horrible book. Some people I talk to at night say I should have let it bother me, that I'm only helping get sales by denouncing it. I've heard that too, Mr. Trump. But on the other hand, helping sales is part of your brand. It's true. It's very true. Whatever I do, it helps sales, right? Absolutely. Okay. So here's the deal, believe me. The task of this week, nobody else knows about this, right? Of course. I'm seeing on TV all the terrible things they say about me in the book. mm mm-hmm. So your task, and I mean, not this week, but like before dinner time, is to go through that piece of crap and find the good things they say about me. Okay. I mean, there must be some, right? It's a long book. Somebody must have said something nice. It does stand to reason. Maybe a few somebody's. you know. He couldn't make it all up. He had to throw in some nice stuff to make it look believable, right? You'd want to think so. Okay. Find the nice stuff in the book. Come in. No matter what time. Read it to me. Can you do that? General Kelly? General Schmettel. Don't worry about General Kelly. This is bigger than General Kelly. I'm a little worried. I'm halfway through the book. So far, nothing nice. Ty? Yes, sir? Whose payroll you run? Uncle Sam's? No, sir, yours. So, I'm the person who gets to judge how good a job you're doing?
1: That's the way it works. Or not doing? Well, I don't know exactly. You
2: told me the Russian thing would be over by the time of my New Year's Eve party in Mar-a-Lago.
1: It was my best. We had
2: decorations made around the theme of 2018, the year with our Muller. Melania designed them.
1: I can't really... You know how
2: much they cost? They were woven out of the finest gold leaf. Or sorry, something gold.
1: I'm an attorney, sir, not a psychic. I can't predict the future with... 100. Forget the
2: future. Let's get down to predicting this week's task.
1: All right, sir. The book. Where's it being sold? Bookstores I think would be a good place to start But I think we already have plenty of copies If you... I don't want to read the damn book What are you, nuts? Am I paying you to be nuts? No, sir
2: I'm too smart to do that, right? That's right, sir Bookstores Didn't the Nixon guy want to firebomb a library or something one time?
1: The, the Brookings Institution But they have books in institutions, right? Yes, sir But we're not going down
2: that road Here's the road we're going down, Mr. Lawyer we announced that because of all the anger about the book, there's an uh, incredible terrorist threat against bookstores. And for the safety of the public, they all have to close. Can you handle
1: that? Well, I'd have to liaise with the new DHS secretary. She's Do
2: that on your own time. Just make sure the word gets out. Nobody will go near a bookstore until like, never,
1: so... Well, obviously, uh, Sarah has to be looped in. You loop her in. The idea disgusts me. It's one of those tasks where I think I can do better by not completing it, but I can't tell him that. Or, for that matter, you. Donald. Rupert. So, you
2: think I'm a moron?
3: (laughs) Correction. I thought you were a moron long ago, before I knew what a complicated retriever, you really
2: are. Great, okay, so I'm a genius, we agree. So why the hell didn't you tell me this wolf was a rat?
3: Why didn't you ask me?
2: What? It's not enough that I'm in the top of my class at one my of the best business schools. In the... their country, that's right, no need to interrupt. And that I make billions. Oh, almost billions. But now I have to ask you to tell me if a guy Steve wants to allow to walk around the White House like he's my brother-in-law or something, whether I should trust him?
3: Look, Donald... I hate to tell you this, but I, I have my own problems. I'm selling my bloody crown jewels to bloody Disney just to keep my two lovely sons from eviscerating one another.
2: Rupert, and- you're talking about the past. You know me. I'm all about the future, just like when I bought the Plaza Hotel. May I ever tell you about that?
3: Donald, you're fading the beast. Stop reacting to this book. The best refutation of your. The his- what now? The best way of proving it's a pack of lies is to roll up your slaves and get down to business and let the liberals rattle on about the book until they run out of petrol.
2: Petrol? He's one of the Russians, right? I hey. Look, Rupert, let me tell you this. Your task this week is to put Fox News on all-out defense of my presidency. Full assault or attack or whatever the hell the generals call it.
3: Uh, we can't be too obvious.
2: A little late for that, believe me. Hey. Just hit him back ten times as hard kind of like essential to the success of our team can you do it?
3: oh we can do it Mm. question is will the dogs eat the dog food?
2: you know what let the whispering guy figure that out New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make geniuses great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentis, all this week, virtual reality was never so virtual.
1: And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Tony Award winner Ben Vereen is apologizing to female actresses, the best kind of actresses, for inappropriate conduct while he directed a, mu- a production of the musical Hair in Florida three years ago. Oh, to be a fly on the floor. The apology on Twitter came a day after the New York Daily News reported that several actresses at the Venice Theater, not the one you're thinking of, alleged sexual misconduct by Varine, including unwanted kissing, inviting women to join him naked in his hot tub, and making demeaning and degrading comments. But wait! Varine, who starred in the landmark TV series Roots, also appeared in the original cast of Hair. He says his intention was, quote, to create an environment that replicated the themes of that musical during the rehearsal process. He hoped the women accepted his, quote, sincere apology. the uh, environment of the original production in Hollywood I happen to know had a a sign on the bulletin board for the cast to read backstage which said remember this is a church Virgin Trains has apologized unreservedly this is a British company related to uh, Virgin Everything Else apologized unreservedly I say for a tweet which some social media users described as sexist In response to a passenger complaint about being referred to as Honey, the official Virgin Trains East Coast Twitter account asked if she would prefer Pet or Love next time. The passenger, Emily Cole, said she was stunned by the response. Virgin subsequently deleted their original tweet or detweeted their original lead. She was traveling on a busy train from Edinburgh to uh, London. They were telling passengers at the front desk and on the platform they could sit in the basically empty first-class coach and pay the weekend upgrade. It was only after the train set off they told us they'd made a mistake and we had to move to try to find seats with all our luggage in the packed train. The first person to check my ticket was very abrasive. His response to my explaining the situation and that I wanted to complain was, You go ahead, honey. At that point, she tweeted, Virgin. The response was patronizing and belittling just the behavior I was complaining about. It wasn't about the use of the term in isolation that's the problem, but when these words were appropriated in such a passive-aggressive way in response to a service complaint, they become part of a wider systemic issue of women being patronized and belittled. You go ahead, darling. After news earlier this week about South Korean TV's Hwayugi... TV show being potentially ordered to halt filming. Huayugi issued a statement saying the drama will resume normal broadcasts this week. The production company J.S. Pictures apologized to the staff member who sustained severe injuries on the set and explained Changes they made in order to improve working conditions and drama production quality. We bow our heads in qua- in apology for the incident that occurred on the set, December twenty three. Hey, my birthday. The broadcasting issues on December twenty fourth during episode two. Changes in the broadcast schedule and the various issues regarding production, irrespective of the reasons behind the issues. More than anything, we sincerely apologize to the staff member involved in the accident and his family. J S Pictures and TVN. The production company and the network are deeply aware of the gravity of the accident. We will be personally making a visit this Sunday to express our deepest apologies. No idea what the accident actually was because, you know, it's a free country. Speaking of which, a popular Ukrainian TV station and the creators of a raunchy New Year's skit have been forced to apologize and delete the holiday program. From its archives after they were called out for its lewd mocking of sexual minorities, the sketch made by Quarter 95 Studios and broadcast on One Plus One on New Year's depicted a Pinocchio-like character known by post-Soviet audiences as Buratino as transgender and leveled crude jokes about it. Both the network and the production company apologized on Facebook. What the network added it had dis- deleted all links to the controversial program from its website and archives and was prepared to provide a platform to discuss transgender issues with other media groups. The troupe that performed the bit is led by Vol- Vol- Volodymyr Zelensky, a leading Ukrainian actor, whose name has been mentioned as a possible presidential candidate. It's not just us, ladies and gentlemen. In the skip, in the skip. An animated wooden character, seemingly reminiscent of Pinocchio, who dreams of becoming a real boy, announces that it. it identifies as a girl and wants to be called by the feminized Buratina. The name Buratino is also scrambled to spell a Russian profanity for sexual intercourse, and a well-known song from Buratino is altered to closely echo a Russian derogatory term for a homosexual. The sketch also shows Buratina being rejected by the puppet's dog and father and insinuates that the character is likely to commit suicide. The new Ukraine, ladies and gentlemen. Dateline Japan Nishinomiya in Japan. The mayor of that city has issued a muddled apology after saying, I will kill you to a newspaper journalist. That's not normal, is it? Takeshi Imamura spat the threat at the reporter after being asked about the mayoral election in April. Do not approach me, he shouted. I will have your boss pay for this. Shortly before that, Immamore had been atten- ad- attending a, t- a ceremony to mark the first working day of the year at City Hall and told executives and others at the event he would not be running in the next election. When the reporter asked Immamore about his decision, near the venue's door, the mayor blew his top, hurled the abuse, and slipped into an elevator. The newspaper later complained about Immamore's attitude. Hey, democracy dies in darkness, and the mayor responded by officially apologizing while while expressing his annoyance. His behavior in rejecting to talk to the reporter was extremely inappropriate, and his overbearing attitude trampled on the freedom of news gathering and news reporting, said the Public Relations Department of the newspaper. Imamura told reporters at City Hall, I would like to apologize to the reporter to whom I shouted abusive words. He also said the reporter had previously pestered him, saying he entered my territory when he was interviewed in 27. Having seemingly already apologized, Imamora said, if the newspaper apologizes to me, I will offer an apology for my abusive words. Is that normal? Should I normalize that by... Deadline Seoul, South Korea. South Korea's president uh, this week apologized to Korean women forced into sexual slavery by Japan's Imperial Army in World War II. He apologized over what he called a flawed deal three years ago with Tokyo to settle long-running disputes over the issue of the so-called comfort women. President Moon Jae-in issued the apology during a meeting with nine former sexual slavery victims, all of them now elderly women. How'd that happen? It's the first time Moon has apologized over the deal. It was struck before he took office last May. I feel sorry for the fact the deal was reached without listening to your opinions and was against your wills. I'm offering words of apology as president, he said. Last week, a state-appointed panel concluded Seoul's previous conservative government failed to properly communicate with the victims before reaching the deal. Moon later ordered officials to map out measures to meet the victims' demands, although he said the issues over history shouldn't affect the efforts to build future-oriented relations between Korea, South Korea, and Japan. His moves placed the prospect for the deal into doubt. Tokyo warned that any attempt to revise the accord would make bilateral relations unmanageable and unacceptable. That's a supermoon. Rick and Morty co-creator Dan Harmon has apologized to a former writer of the TV show Community for his inappropriate behavior when the two worked together on that show. Harmon, who created Community, initially started his apology on New Year's Day by tweeting, this was truly the year of the a-hole, myself included. We don't have to make 2018 the year of the mensch, but I hope it can be the year of the not as much of an a-hole. While not specifically aimed at any one person, former community writer Megan Gantz, who has also written for other shows. She later replied to Harmon, asking if he cared to be more specific. Harmon then began to apologize for his inappropriate behavior in a Twitter exchange with Gantz. While the nature of the incident was kept vague, Harmon said, I didn't want to add narcissism to injury by naming you without permission. I will talk about it more in any way that you think is just. I am deeply sorry. I'm filled with regret and a lot of foggy memories, about abusing my position treating you like garbage i would feel a lot of relief if you told me there was a way to fix it i'll let you call the shots till then at least i know i was an awful boss and a selfish baby gans responded By writing, I wish my memories were foggier. I wish there was a way to fix it. It took me years to believe in my talents again, to trust a boss when he complimented me, and not cringe when he asked for my number. I was afraid to be enthusiastic, knowing it might be turned against me later. Harmon replied, I'm disgusted, and sorry that I stained our show and your talent with my selfish, childish poop. Harsher version of that word. Before Gans ended the conversation with the message, it's good to recognize power dynamics... But it's also good to recognize you're no different from those you employ, unquote. Ouch. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, left out of my summary of uh, the most e- explosive, quote unquote, parts of the uh, Michael Wolff book, Fire and Fury, uh, are the um, recollections or the characterizations by many of the people who worked worked or worked in, work in the Trump administration, describing the President Trump as almost childlike. And uh, that's uh, seen as derogatory, of course, and uh, as emblematic of somebody absolutely, by by his critics and by many in the media, unacceptable in a president of the United States of America. It strikes me, though, that um, it's almost appropriate for a president to be characterized as childlike when he's running and elected by a country where for the last three decades the most popular movies have been based on comic books. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program will return next week at the same time or whenever you want it on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like Steve Bannon becoming an unperson if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and in exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead. And to Jenny Lawson for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program. A playlist of the music you hear here. And your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. All at com. And me! Thank you for asking. I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Um, I point to a big announcement. An announcement of some size coming Oddly enough, on the 11th of this month, that would be this coming week. Stay tuned. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.